Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Conduct Detrimental. It's the NIL Hour. My name is Taryn Sharma. With me today is Holly Summers. How's it going, Holly? Going good. How are you, Taryn? I'm doing well, and we've got Holly's adorable corgi, Willow, in the background joining us. Mike Lawson. How's it going, Mike? Good, Taryn. Holly, Taryn, good to be back. And today we are joined by a very special guest, uh, Eddie Taylor. Eddie is the NIL coordinator at the University of Cincinnati, a big-time school. They were in the college football playoff a couple years ago under Luke Fickle, now making the move to the Big 12. So exciting times to be in your shoes. How's it going, Eddie? I have never been more excited for anything in my life than the move to the Big 12. Oh, I thought you meant to be on the podcast, but uh, yeah, that <laughs> Big 12 is kind of cool too. Yeah. Good. So Holly, why don't you uh, lead us off here? Yeah, I'd love to. So I met Eddie or Eddie and I met at the NIL Summit in Atlanta back at the beginning of June. And during last week's episode, we kind of talked with Maddie about how moving conferences affect student athletes and how it can affect their NIL opportunities and kind of just how it's a big change for a lot of students. And I immediately thought of you, Eddie, and wanted to bring you on so you could kind of talk about that change with us a little bit and what it looks like at Cincinnati. So kind of just first question I have for you starting out is what visible changes have you seen in the past, I guess it's been 11 days, if any, or since even the announcement of the move to the Big 12? So uh, in the last 11 days, no real visible changes, but the Big 12 started early. I think they even started earlier than when I got here. I've been at Cincinnati for a little under a year now. When I came in, the commissioner came in and then the Big 12 over the course of the year sent, you know, people in to do like audits and reviews and kind of like get us up to speed to be a Big 12 school. And the Big 12 is like, I didn't know much about the Big 12. I went to LSU. I'm an SEC guy. Now I'm a huge Big 12 guy. I, I can confidently say they are the funnest, most innovative conference. Like the things they're doing and the things they have planned are going to be amazing. But to answer your question, they kind of came in. And one of the big things I noticed immediately is they had a focus on like mental health, nutrition, just being more innovative and having the freedom to create and being one of the big 12 schools because they value that logo really highly. And unlike other conferences, it's on all of our merch, not just summers. Like every time I go into the office, I'm not wearing anything right now, but uh, we have a big 12 thing on our side and it like really drives home. Like we are the big 12, we represent the conference and it's just that's been the, the main change. It's like every time I go to work, you know, the American was amazing and I had a great time with that. But it's like every time I go to work, I'm like, oh, I'm in the Big 12. Like I see everyone else with like these patches around. I would say the only other visible change I've seen is just we're all aware as a department that we just have to step it up. Like, you know, the group of five is competitive. Obviously, we made the college football playoff as a group of five school. But now we're, you know, we're hanging with the big boys. The school in our conference just Almost, you know, one national championship went to it and had a chance. Schools in our conference are winning March Madness. Schools in our conference are, you know, deep, deep in the College World Series. So we have to be ready to come in and, like, everyone kind of expects, like, oh, it's your first year in the Big 12. You know, you're going to go and you're going to have some bad years. Like, that, no. We're coming in. We're coming in hot and, you know, can't control what happens on the field, but we can control how we prep our athletes, how we deal with that. So we've really stepped it up as a staff. Like, everyone's really, we're playing to win. I can just put it to you like that. Yeah, I love that. I think that's very exciting to hear. As a fellow Big 12 alum, I guess, uh, you maybe not be an alum, but I am Texas Tech. I love to hear that you think that we are the most fun because I 100% agree that the Big 12 is the most fun. 
something you mentioned towards the end there is preparing your students maybe for the move and getting them ready to start playing these teams. What has that looked like preparing student athletes and how have they been affected by the move so far? I think the student athletes have been, I don't know a better word, but just hyped. Like they know that they get to compete on a bigger stage, more eyeballs, more ESPN coverage, just more, more media in general. And they, from my, my seat, you know, in NIL, I get to sit there with specifically uh, obviously football means basketball, but specifically the sports I'm most excited about are volleyball and women's basketball. Like oh. the eyeballs they're going to have being in the big 12, the brand exposure from those sports that while they, you know, they had eyeballs on them in the American and the big 12, you know, you got Texas volleyball competing for national championships, bringing exposure. You got um, Baylor women's basketball. You got many other women's basketball programs in the big 12 that are competitive even soccer, soccer to that same effect, like Big 12 soccer, West Virginia is a real deal. There's so many different programs and just you'll just be playing better competition. And for a lot of us, it's like competition we never played before, but also it's competition we have played before. So like West Virginia, right, literally right there. So that'll be a fun rivalry that'll get re-sparked. I, from my see, I've been prepping them to just have more um, brands reach out to them. It's just organically going to happen. They're going to be just seen more. I have this theory that if you're in a movie, like if you, any of us were Spider-Man or, you know, Spider-Gwen for you, Holly, uh, we would just become famous because if enough people see you, you're just famous. So I tell them like enough eyeballs will be on you to where, you know, that influencer account's going to start, you're going to start seeing some, uh, some traction in there. So I'm just prepping them for that, just how to handle that, you know, what's a good deal, what's not a good deal, you know, uh, how to manage their time. Just all the, the little intricacies that no one thinks about in NIL. They think it's just, you know, big money going to cars and all that other stuff. Let's talk about Cincinnati a little bit more specifically, right? Like Big East for many years, the Big East kind of dies out. Uh, and then they jump to the American, which is pieced together from what was left. And now it's Cincinnati that is in the position to do the jumping. They've really kind of charted their own destiny. The football program has gotten good enough to where they can drive their future. So how are the alumni reacting to the move to the Big 12? And uh, has that really energized your NIL effort? I was uh, at this event the other day. We have our collective, since he reigns, my favorite collective ever, has a, a beer. And they debuted the beer. And it was like nothing I've ever seen before. The entire city came together share their collective love of one Cincinnati athletics, the city, but also just this beer. Cincinnati fans are like a different beast. And the way that they've come together for this move to the Big 12 and what they know we need to do from our like amazing donors who helped us, you know, be day one ready, which like our big campaign for the Big 12. And just all like like everyone, this is like a it takes a village and in this case it takes a city and an alumni base, you know, for, go from the American and the Big 12. So I just, like, we have the most amazing fans. And, like, every time I get on Twitter, I see someone drinking Cincy Light. <laughs> it's great. Or, uh, like, just engaging with our collective. One of my um, football players has a burger right now. It's Burger Week in Cincinnati. And I, he gets, uh, like, some money kickback from the burger. But the most important thing is that all these Cincinnati fans are going to this one place because it's his burger and they're willing to drive, like, you know, out of their way to go get his burger. So they 
honestly, I forgot your question talking about how great our fans are, but um, I think that's great. I, I was asking how the alumni base was reacting. I think you, you hit the nail on the head. They're driving out of their way for uh, for a burger instead of Midwestern Bolognese Skyline Chili. Yeah, it's which is a tough, that's a tough sell, you know, to get someone not to eat Skyline. So that's a, that's a big ass. But, you know, I, I just love the fact that they're willing to go out and support our athletes because they really, really work hard for their NIL and mm-hmm. uh, like doing organic things like that to just have a burger or like, you know, have your own merch or, or stuff like that. Like they, they sit down in my office and they like talk it over with me and they like really put like really like these are not just like one and done meetings they like put a lot of thought and emphasis into it and then they go get you know whatever third-party help they need like legal or whatever but it's really just like a labor of love and I think if fans could see the smiles they get when they see someone wearing their merch or they see someone eating their burger or whatever like it would really all bring it full circle so I, I just have a question about you talked about the pride of being in Big 12 and like kind of stepping up to be in, you know, a, a conference like the Big 12. How has it been with like some of the overhead or like some of the maybe you have some some informational meetings with the Big 12, the conference? How has the conference been as an educational piece on the NIL aspect of it, like them kind of helping you, you as a coordinator and then kind of helping you educate your athlete? From the compliance side, uh, we've had a lot of meetings with the Big 12, and they've been really, really great about doing education like that. From like an NIL compliance side, from like a an educational, but like as far as the other stuff, we haven't done any of that. I'm sure it's coming, but uh, I think the focus right now is just to get us like on board with like, you know, American has different compliance rules in the Big 12 and like the way they interpret things. So while it hasn't happened yet, I am 100% sure it's coming. I wouldn't be surprised if I wake up tomorrow and have an email from them and it's ready to go. So not yet, but as far as like NIL compliance education, they've been thorough and amazing and they answer any questions that we have. Well, that's good to hear. <laughs> Somebody's giving some answers here. I mean, the other the other thing I had too and followed that, I know you were in LSU before. Are there any differences between what you can see from like the SEC from a conference level to like now Big 12 with Cincinnati? It's kind of... It's kind of weird because when I was at LSU, I was like an undergrad, like student intern. So I wasn't really sitting in on the SEC conference calls. Right. And I wasn't really as involved versus, you know, when I'm here now and I have like kind of my own ship to run. But no, I thought there would be a major difference. But I, I think the SEC and the Big 12 want to win just as much. I would go up. I would go on a limb to say that Big 12 wants to win more than the SEC because the SEC is like everyone views them as like the top dog. Well, depending on what region of the world you live in, if you live in the north, you probably think the Big Ten is the big dog. But Eddie, are I think you the, saying that it doesn't mean more in the SEC? Uh oh. <laughs> I think that I think in the SEC it means more, but I think uh, the Big Twelve is out to prove that they can run with anybody in any sport at any time. Yeah. So let's talk about your background more specifically. So uh, you're really young. Uh, can you tell us, like, where did you grow up? How did you decide that you wanted to do this? How did you develop the the education base and the, and the skills needed to get into this role? How did you network? Because a lot of the people that listen to this, they're college students that would be interested in, in maybe pursuing law, specifically something to do with sports, or they're currently in law school. And they always wonder, how can I be the next Eddie Taylor? So what did you do and who helped you along the way? Okay, I'll give you a quick life story. Yeah. Uh, I went to, so I have, I'm a non-traditional athlete. I wasn't an NCAA athlete, but I was a college athlete per se. 
Uh, I went to high school in Houston. Uh, I was born in New Orleans, but then Katrina hit. So, you know, we all had to get up out of there. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to Houston and I wanted to play football because, you know, to graduate from high school in, in Texas, you have to play football. It's like a rite of passage. And all 90 pounds of me is over here playing free safety, just getting um, stiffed armed by Jalen Hurts. True story. Uh, and, you know, That's all crazy. these like all these crazy now current NFL players. And I was like, you know what? If I want to play college football, I got to go run track and lift weights. So ran track, lift weights. Turns out I was really good at lifting weights, like abnormally good. So my D-line coach like, come join the powerlifting team. I joined the powerlifting team, TLDR, end up on Team USA. So on Team USA, you know, just living the dream over there in like Belgium, eating a Belgian waffle, you know, lifting weights. Life's good. <laughs> I'm at this... I'm at this small NAIA college in Nebraska called Midland University. They are the Alabama of powerlifting, or I guess the, I don't know, whoever the most dominant team is at Georgia right now, of powerlifting. And they are just, you know, we win national championships. I'm an All-American. It's great. But I'm sitting, we literally had just won a national championship. And I'm sitting in my, uh, like, apartment. So to me, NIL isn't new because because I was never an NCAA athlete I was always able to profit off my name image and likeness so I've been able to do like I've been getting free pre-workout um all my powerlifting gear was paid for like stuff like that like that's not new to me so this space isn't new I was cold emailing companies back in you know 2017 for like hey look at my lifting video like you know I'm ranked number two in the world please work with me help I tell my athletes that all the time like this isn't new I had to struggle too I got a bunch of rejections but anyway yeah uh, so I'm sitting there in my apartment and I'm like, man, what am I going to do with my life? Because my whole goal in life is to be on Team USA. And I kind of got here a little early. So then I was like, you know, I really like sports. I wouldn't have gone to college without sports. I should go work in sports. And I was like, okay, what does that look like? Ugh. So my mom was like, you should go to LSU. She was an LSU diehard fan. And mm-hmm. I was like, Ugh. yeah, my college currently didn't have a sports admin program. And, you know, obviously LSU being in the SEC, they had just moved back to Louisiana. So it all kind of worked out. So hardest thing I've ever done, I left my teammates and transferred to LSU and joined the team at LSU. Also the best thing I ever did, because now I was able to still, you know, lift weights and power lifts, but I was able to like join. I've worked in every single department except for ticket sales through LSU, like in my three, three and a half years there. I I went from um, facilities to working under our AD and our executive AD and all these people, all my, I can say confidently before I started college athletics, all my heroes were athletes. All my heroes are people that are senior staff at LSU. Recurrent, right? Like I, my big goal in life is being AD or be senior staff or something like that. Because yeah. all the coolest people I know, they do that stuff. So that's why whenever I'm like, okay, I'm going to, you know, get to work like an hour earlier, stay an hour later so I can be senior staff like, you know, Verge or Miriam or, you know, uh, Scott and Andrea and all of them at LSU. So then uh, one day I woke up, I was scrolling on Instagram, probably late to class, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, this is back when we had in-person class, so throwback. And I saw Bo Nix holding Milo's sweet tea. And I was like, literally my earliest image of NIL is Bo Nix hurling Milo's sweet tea. I'll never forget it. So I, I go into work and everyone's running around, like talking about NIL. People are like flying in. I think like a consulting company flew in or like, I don't know what's going on. And I'm like, you know, what's going on? And they're talking about like NILSU. And I'm like, what are these words? And they kind of break it down to me. And then I'm like, oh, so what I've been doing for the last like eight years. Cool. I'll do it. 
and everyone's like scared of the space like what are the legal implications what are the you know are they like i'm like i've been doing this for eight years none of this scares me i kind of just get involved here and there like i i got to work with some pretty cool athletes and i was kind of on the tail end of me leaving lsu but i got to see you know some disclosures i got to see like you know just some basic stuff that everyone gets to see but i was able to see how it works at like a higher level which was really good because when i came to cincinnati the transition for me there was no transition like i've been running us like you know i'm running i've been running the ship power five since i've been able to get my hands on it so uh we've really had no drop off in that aspect so that's kind of my tldr life story if you have any questions let me know yeah yeah yeah. so you you go to cincinnati you get your master's degree there uh what did you study so graduate next month actually i uh thank you i uh study sports admin at lsu i studied sports commerce so more like the business side of sports I study here at Cincinnati more so like it's actually a really cool program. They teach you how to be an AD. So like corporate social responsibility, like all this other like things like fundraising, one like things you don't think about. Um, I didn't realize how much of being an AD was fundraising. I am very aware of that now, especially working in the space <laughs> I work in. Uh, so I kind of study all of those little things, a lot of recruiting ethics, just ethics in general, a lot of legal stuff that I don't have a law degree. I just have, I'm about to have a master's, but it's a lot of legal stuff that like everyone should know per se, like uh, just basic like contractual things and ethics and just stuff like that. But that's the base of my um, master's degree. That's super cool. Something that kind of stood out to me that you were talking about that might be important for our listeners is you talked about watching the people around you and in the positions that you want to have or the position you want to have in the future and thinking I'm going to go in early and stay late and really put the work in. And that's something that I have, I kind of noticed about you when I first met you is really just that you have a ton of heart and a ton of like passion, even for your students. Cause you know, you hung out with them all weekend, maybe when it wasn't too fun, waking up really early, going to bed late, the whole summit, but you traveled with them. And even after the summit, I kind of, you know, follow you on LinkedIn. So I get to see a lot of your posts about the education that you do with the students in those sessions that you have. And I love to kind of maybe talk about some of those branding sessions that you have or like how to maximize your NIL sessions that you have with your students and kind of where those ideas come from and how kind of that works with your job. So whenever I have a issue, my my main goal, I think, because of what the people at LSU taught me. It's like, if you see a problem, just fill it. So I don't really go out looking, like when I think of programming, I kind of leave that up to student athlete development, that like they have, you know, like resume workshops, all that stuff. And I also such a new and fluid space. I don't want to make set programming and they become employees and like all of a sudden that doesn't matter, you know. Uh, I kind of want to see a need and fill it. So as I see things, I can go back because the spaces are new to me. I can go back and think, okay, what did 16-year-old Eddie need to hear, 17-year-old Eddie need to hear about this specific topic? And I'm able to just work backwards and make the programming. I'm unique in that space where I can do that. No one else can really do that, I would say. So that's how I come up with most things. So like the personal branding segment for me, I have it different for each team. Sometimes I have one-on-one sessions with athletes. So like my football, men's basketball athlete, just to be straight up with you, some of them come from lower socioeconomic backgrounds, just like I do. So it's a different talk because I'm talking about like, hey, you know, personal branding is also like financial literacy. It's also like how you carry yourself. It's not just, you know, your digital footprint, but please don't mess up your digital footprint. It's also like, you know, not associating with those people that are cool from your hometown, but are really bad for your overall brand. 
And I talk about those same things with, you know, like a volleyball or soccer, or tennis, but not to the same aspect. Cause you know, you got to know who you're talking to. And I think that, you know, we're in 2023 now we can be open and t- like, you know, different people need different things. I try to tailor it to what the kids need. And then like, as I get to know them, I know like, okay, like this, this roster is like this, they need this. And this girl is like this, she needs this, or this guy is like this, she needs this. So I just start with like what I needed and then work backward and try to combine it with what they need. And it always kind of works. I always try to keep my uh, PowerPoints kind of, kind of lighthearted and funny. I always like pick on them. I remember one, uh, one I was doing, a kid was wearing a Playboy shirt and uh, I was like, uh, pitch me this shirt. Like, you know, like pitch yourself in this shirt. <laughs> and he was just like, not ready. And I was like, come on, Playboy. Like, but they respond so well to that because they're so used to being talked, like talked at and talked to. And not like not like a Cincinnati thing, just like in general, like in classes and everywhere. Like they're used to like being told what to do, go do it. But I try to like an NIL, it's their NIL. I'm just here to equip them with like the knowledge and skills. So I want them to be verbal and be a- an advocate. I always tell them like, I'm go- always going to be your biggest fan. Like I'll buy your NIL merch. You know, like if I could afford to, I would buy every single one of your jerseys. But I need you to be your biggest advocate is what I always say to them. Like, if you think a business is undercutting you, I literally by NCAA bylaws cannot help you negotiate. So you got to be, you got to be big boy, big girl, figure it out yourself. So that's kind of how I go about all that. Well, that's awesome. Well, we are so thankful that you had time to join us today. What can we look for from Cincinnati in the next coming years in the big 12? What should we watch for? More wins, more wins, (laughs) more NIL deals, more followers, more clout more everything. I think that we have such a good base. Like we're have a strong foundation. We have a strong everything. I don't think we're really weak in any one aspect. They made the greatest hire they could have ever made 10 months ago with me. So now uh, <laughs> that's right. Now we're, uh, you know, we're swinging, we're swinging for the fences. Speaking of, we just got a new baseball coach. He's awesome. Uh, swinging for the fences. We actually just got like a lot of new coaches and uh, soccer, women's basketball, women's golf. And they're all, um, I've met with each of them and they're all amazing human beings. And uh, I think that we do a really good job of not just picking great athletes and great coaches that can coach and that can play, but we try to pick good human beings. And like, I would take a good human being over like, you know, a bad human being who can ball or can coach 10 out of 10 times. So I think we're doing a really good job putting good people into place at all corners of Cincinnati. So I think the sky's the limits for us. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you heard it here first, Cincinnati forced to be reckoned with in the Big 12. We're looking forward to it. Um, And kind of was just thinking, just like at Conduct Detrimental here, we are the intersection of sports and law. And Eddie in his bio says that he is obsessed with the intersection of sports and everything. So this was a good match, I think, made in heaven, maybe. Uh, Eddie, where can our listeners find you? And tell us a little bit about your podcast. Yeah, so if you want to follow me, my Instagram, where you'll see most of my shenanigans with my student athletes, is at the Eddie Taylor. Uh, on LinkedIn, it's just Eddie Taylor. And then I have a podcast with my best friend, Olivia Nuss, who we met at LSU in the compliance office. Uh, we talk about NIL um, from the first party, third party type of uh, lens. So Olivia works for a company called Sunel. I feel like I always say it wrong. Sunel, uh, student athlete NIL. They are a third-party NIL company that deals with collectives. And obviously, I worked internal. So the way that I have to handle things and the way that she can handle things are different. So we're able to come together and give the listeners a you know a 360 view of the NIL space from the inside and the out. Well, that's awesome. So thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure having you on. I think this was a great discussion. 
I had a great time. Very interesting stuff. Excited for the future. Thanks, Eddie. Yeah, thank you. Thanks again to Eddie Taylor, a uh, compliance staff member at the University of Cincinnati. Uh, really exciting to hear about his perspective. And thanks again to Holly for setting that up. As always, our podcast brought to you by Themis. Themis, the best bar review company in the galaxy. Mike and I use Themis. Holly's going to use Themis. And uh, yeah, we love Themis. And now here is a message from Spotify. Thanks again to all of our sponsors. Mike, big news this week. I think it was everywhere and really just happened so quickly. And honestly, even more impressive because it was driven really by the student newspaper, uh, future Big J's at Northwestern, uh, bringing down Pat Fitzgerald, the head football coach, Northwestern icon, member of the 95 Rose Bowl team, uh, All-American linebacker. He's no longer the head coach. He was there for 17 years. Do you want to take us through what exactly happened? What what went down? Yeah, I mean, if, if you've listened to our podcast consistently, last our, our last episode, they broke it down too. Uh, Dan Lust and, and Justin Mater and uh, Matt Timpanic, they, they talked about this. But it's it's really, I mean, a developing story here. It's going to open up the more they, they kind of dive into this. I mean, what really broke the news was Pat Fitzgerald was suspended after an investigation that was opened up starting back from November of 2022. Freshman kind of came forward and, and reported that he was a victim of a hazing ritual. They called it, quote unquote, running, uh, where there were upperclassmen who would kind of dress up as like characters from the movie The Purge and and just, just do horrible things to certain athletes uh, in this hazing scheme. The upperclassmen would kind of target these individuals for making mistakes during practices. It involved kind of clapping over an individual to put them as the target. And it went as far as some of the reports being that Pat Fitzgerald as the head coach would also take part in this clapping to target these, these players. So the, an investigation started back in November of 2022, and it resulted in Pat Fitzgerald earning a two-week suspension. There was a determination that he actually uh, didn't have sufficient knowledge uh, of what was happening. There was no sufficient evidence that Pat Fitzgerald knew that there was specific misconduct that was happening, Wasn't that, that he didn't know of this any sort of violations of the anti-hazing policy and things like that. So they, they, they gave him a two-week suspension. For all intents and purposes, Mike, Friday news dump really like barely made a blip that right. there's this two-week uh, pe- uh, period in the summer where Fitzgerald is going to be suspended. It really doesn't become a major story until the, the Daily Northwestern takes, uh, takes it up. Yeah, correct. So you've got the student newspaper that really dug in and was way more critical of Coach Fitzgerald they were interviewing accusers, uh, you know, victims of this hazing scheme, that he was the one who was involved. He was the one who was clapping his hands during practice, signaling players would make mistakes, warranting this hazing policy, hazing scheme that they were trying to do uh, to these underclassmen, freshmen. And they published stories where these former football players also accused the program uh, of a pattern of racism as well. So, Fitzgerald had to kind of double down and double back on Monday, basically saying that he, you know, agreed with the investigation that came out, agreed that there was that there was a mutual agreement that the suspension was necessary. 
And then ultimately what happened was that this mutual agreement that they had was revoked and he ended up being terminated. He was fired as a head coach. Uh, he says that came to a, as a surprise to him. There was no notification to him he, that they, they turned from the suspension to the firing. And then now we have a lot of different things. Uh, you know, there's articles in CBS, Sportico coming out where there's a lot of legal ramifications here. Was he fired for cause? Was he fired without cause? For cause would mean that he has a legal right to to file suit for breach of contract in which he has to make his case on whether or not he did violate their contract, did violate any sort of anti-hazing or did not violate any anti-hazing, uh, which would stem the for-cause firing. If he's not fired without cause, then he has a right to the percentage of the contract that was left. Uh, he was getting, I think, $5.75 million a year. So he has uh, a right to that money. So there's a lot of different things that he can do at this point. But on the other side, there's also legal ramifications where these individuals who were subject to the hazing could file criminal suit and, and file other aspects of, of pursuing uh, legal action against Northwestern, against Pat Fitzgerald. So there's, there's a, whole, a whole slew of things that can kind of unravel as this develops more. My big question is, what was this investigation? What was conducted? What was found? And why is why is it the, the student newspaper the one that is causing more of a stir than an internal investigation that was conducted into a head coach who was there for a predominant amount of years in this program's life. And it's a legend. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, um, I want to jump back. It did feel at a certain point that it was like piling on because you have these 11 players that kind of come forward and they tell their stories to the investigative team. Obviously those things are wrong. The car wash, the elephant walk, those things are despicable. It shouldn't be permitted to take place within a college football program. And when it comes to Fitzgerald, if you say like he should have known he's the CEO, I buy that a hundred percent. What doesn't make sense to me is that this information was available to Northwestern's president and AD and who knows who else on campus? Because this this investigation starts in December and it takes all the way to July for them to make this decision. They have access to this information for almost seven months. They decide to go with the two-week suspension and then don't do anything until that information becomes public, which you know they haven't even made the entire report public. It, it really begs the question as to if that gets leaked, right? Like, should these administrators be in their roles? Because- they knew that those things were happening. And if it's bad enough to fire one guy who should have known, and then you did know as the administrator, like maybe you should be held responsible for that as well. Respondiat superior. Yeah, there you go. And uh, the other thing is that they're going to keep their entire coaching staff on, on, on staff this year, which everyone knew about this, but only Fitzgerald is responsible. Like, it it doesn't make sense to me. I don't know, Holly. What do you think? Yeah, that's was exactly my thoughts as well as these other coaching staff members are all staying on despite like maybe this known or should have known that's been put on Coach Fitzgerald. It's just really interesting to me. That was my first thought too. Is like, why is he being fired? Why are they not being fired? Are these student athletes going to still be comfortable around these other coaching staffs? Like if this was the reason and we kind of, maybe I'm assuming that it was that he was fired, then I would think that the other coaching staff members would also kind of be dismissed because if 
I was a student athlete and I was playing for Northwestern, I definitely would not feel comfortable around these other coaching members who also knew that this was going on. If they thought it was a big enough deal to begin with, you see all of the public statements that have come out from players or even recent players. Greg Newsom has been very vocal on Twitter, former first round pick by the Cleveland Browns who played at Northwestern, was on that team in 2020 that finished number 10 in the country. He said that they're, you know, the racism allegations are are ridiculous. And and I just want to point out that there should be some level of consistency. Okay. Like, look, this guy, Ramon Diaz, he played offensive line for uh Fitzgerald at Northwestern and then later now says that he had these microaggressions of you know having Cinco de Mayo shaved into his head during a like a hazing thing. Uh somebody told him uh uh when he when they were in a dirty room like I bet your family could clean this because he's Hispanic. Like that stuff is terrible. But also this guy four years ago uh, 2019, he's talking about how he loves Coach Fitzgerald. Like here, he says almost four years ago, exactly, July 20th, 2019, he tweets, agreed, Coach Fitz continues to influence my life today. He expects his athletes to be exceptional students. The culture he creates at Northwestern is one that I speak of with great admiration to youth athletes daily. I am proud to be a Wildcat. Go Cats. Here's uh, March 9th, 2019. Cats are looking sharp as usual during spring ball. Coach Fitz creates a culture of exceptional football at Northwestern. Go win, Coach. February 24th, 2020. This event is always a blast for me and my family. Thank you, Coach Fitz, for developing your players into great role models for hundreds of kids who attend these events. Go Cats. I can understand like that those situations would be terrible. I, I say that as somebody who has experienced you know, what I guess would now be called microaggressions or even more so in my life. But it's interesting to me that three, four years ago, he has one perspective and and loves Northwestern, loves Coach Fitzgerald. It's, it's an amazing place to be. He really molds these young men to, wow, Pat Fitzgerald might as well be in the clan. Like that, that's so inconsistent to me. And And I think that at a certain point, people just pile on because they see uh, a dumpster fire and they're like oh if i throw some more newspaper in there like let's just see it go up further i don't know that that bothered me are you saying that you're thinking that people are going too far the opposite way that he was too like people are are trying to advocate for him too aggressively now no or, that, or people I, are piling on that he's too much of a racist yeah i think that it's piling on i don't think that he is a racist Right. Okay. Okay. That's like, I, I think that people saw a situation where a guy is vulnerable and he's probably going to go down and they're like, Oh, I might as well get my pound of flesh too. Mm-hmm. When it's not consistent with anything that they've said in the past. So I just think that that is peculiar. I, and look, that guy might think that that guy really might think that there's like this culture of racism at Northwestern, but he didn't think it three years ago. They right, didn't right, think right. it four years ago. Yeah. And so like within less than one presidential term, it's suddenly like, uh, like this is a, this terrible place. And I think that that besmirches the character of every person else that's there. If, if one person does something bad or even like a handful of people do something bad, that doesn't make Northwestern this bad place that, that now has to rid itself of this culture of racism. I, I just don't think that that's, it's proper for, for people to, 
kind of come out of the woodwork with this opinion that it's like it's not consistent with how they've shared their experience in the past. I, I just I thought that they really piled on and, and that this guy is the fall guy for for a bunch of people that knew that this stuff was going on and it was wrong and they could have fixed it and they they chose not to. And probably they were implementing the things that could have fixed it going forward, that this guy is solely responsible while the coaching staff remains in place and all of the administrators who received this report uh, are are still in place. It's just silly to me. Yeah. Like that's not really like any sort of justice. Taryn, I think you're you're spot on here. And especially since with like the rest of my big thing was the the rest of the coaching staff, because the determination from the investigation said that there was significant opportunities to discover and report the hazing conduct, whether there was additional aspects of racism or anything like that. I feel like that would also have been discovered within this. I mean, they hired, so they say a prominent, you know, invest, a far, prominent firm investigating this matter as an outside uh, counsel to this, but throughout the investigation, they're finding that there was enough there that Fitzgerald and the coaching staff should have known that something was going on and that they there, there was a lot of opportunities for them to have discovered that there was hazing happening and report it, or at least enough to throw up a red flag that something was you know, going on that might've violated some sort of anti-hazing or anything like that. So yeah, I, I think I think he's definitely becoming the fall guy here uh, with everything that's come out. And then you have the issue of the coaching staff that's remaining on here, who is also significant in this uh, these opportunities that they all could have reported this. It doesn't just fall on Pat Fitzgerald. He is the blame because he is the the head of the program and he should have known. But I mean, there's there's definitely plenty of other people that were involved that should have known, should have reported long before this freshman reported in November of 2022. Like not to minimize, of course, anything that he did in regards to the hazing, which is absolutely abhorrent, but that doesn't mean that he should be the only one, like we said, who is basically taking the fall for this or is punished for this. Like we talked about a lot of these other coaching staff who are now getting to stay on at Northwestern they had reason to know that these things were going on. I think one of the former players sent a screenshot of a whiteboard to ESPN that kind of was in the middle of, I guess, the locker room. And it had a headline that was like Shrek's list and included a list of players and I guess had bulleted items underneath the players' names like naked slingshot or naked bear crawls. And if you're going to tell me that coaching staff doesn't walk through the locker room or never has a reason to be in the locker room. I don't think, I don't think I can believe that, that they're never going to see this or that the athletes are the ones writing their names on this whiteboard. I think that that's definitely something that they should have known. And they also need to be held accountable for these things. And we're talking about the, like Fitzgerald being the fall guy and his responsibility. Another piece of this too we haven't seen an investigation that was conducted by the NCAA. So the next step that we could see is the NCAA or even the Big Ten conducting their own investigation independently. Maybe that's where we see some sort of punishment come down because like, they, they impose some sort of infraction against Northwestern. Michael McCann in his Sportico article, he cited the, the NCAA bylaw. It's 11.1.1.1, where that's where the head coach is presumed responsible for all staff members. So even even if they made the determination that Fitzgerald had no knowledge 
uh, of anything that was going on, if any of his staff knew or multiple members of his staff knew that stuff was going on, then he kind of has to assume the responsibility of his staff. So he has to be in the know of what's happening and what his staff knows as well. So that's kind of where the fall happens on him too. But again, the investigation determined that there was not sufficient evidence that any of them knew. Uh, at least that's what that's what the report said. So kind of switch gears after the publicity had had gone a little crazy here. But another aspect of this too is it's kind of, we've talked about it before, the employee status of student athletes, where there's there's almost like striking while the iron's hot here. An NLRB complaint has been filed uh, against Northwestern, again, for the aspect of them, of student athletes in Northwestern being considered student athletes, you know, them being titled student athletes as opposed to employees where the complaint kind of states that had they been employees or there was some sort of unionization here that that this something like this would never happen so kind of just seeing if they can get any sort of angle they possibly can again making the argument that they're joint employers and things like that that we've talked about with the usc and the pac-12 nlrb complaint that we've seen but northwestern is another aspect that they can kind of make that argument for employee status to protect the uh, employees quote quote unquote employees in the union being the student athletes well northwestern really like ground zero for nlrb complaints and unionization to begin with right like kane coulter 2015 who's to know whether they would have been able to get a majority of the players on board there obviously the the full nlrb board decided that they would rather not grant a union opportunity to uh the student athletes at uh, on one team at one private school within one private association within another private association, which it seemed legitimate at the time, um, given that we were really like nowhere near where we are now. But I think that there's a more of a, a roadmap, more of a game plan for how unionization might go, how collective bargaining might go. And I agree that a union rep probably is able to negotiate some sort of preventative measures of of hazing, which is probably why, you know, and it was well known at the time that, that Fitzgerald did not want them to unionize. So we're going to continue to to keep an eye on this. Again, Mike, as you said, like uh, that 10-year contract that, that Fitzgerald signed in January of 21 uh, still has more than $40 million remaining on it. And so this obviously is not going to go away. He's not just going to eat $40 million, um, especially with such a quick turnaround by the uh, the university. And so I think there's a bit of mutually assured destruction here that neither side really wants to see that report get leaked because it makes them all look bad. Also, Northwestern is dealing with a bunch of chaos with their baseball program, which is also in terrible shape. And uh, and so I think that the reason that Fitzgerald is not filed also is that uh, that they're going to work towards some sort of settlement. And we'll obviously cover that when that happens. We've run a little bit long tonight, but obviously it's some, some big topics and we had a great guest. So uh, let's finish here uh, a little what to watch for. Um, Holly, what do you have? Yeah. So this week, I think the big what to watch for is recently the players trunk released a limited edition NIL trading cards featuring the UConn basketball stars. I think there's three of them who are going to be on those, uh, trading cards and it's basically 
for the 2022-2023 National Championship. So that's super excited, something that we really haven't seen coming from, I guess, the player's trunk yet. I know they have a bunch of different little cool memorabilia and things that you can purchase, but I think the idea of having trading cards is super cool. Very interesting to me. My dad collected baseball trading cards when I was younger growing up and I'm obsessed with them. So I think it would be awesome to have some of my favorite college players on trading cards. Mike, what do you got? So we talked about New York's NIL bill and the uh, amendment that Governor Hochul signed in last Monday. And now we have a big update from Missouri following suit, following New York, following Texas, uh, where they pass a similar NIL bill that protects in-state schools from any sort of infraction or complaint that might come down from a conference or the NCAA as it relates to their involvement with uh, NIL deals uh, and, and kind of coordinating with um, NIL with, with student-athletes and with, with collectives and things like that. Uh, another piece of this, too, is, is they're allowing high school athletes to earn NIL after they sign their letter of intent uh, once they enroll at an in-state institution. Um, so really, we're seeing this. We, we've talked about this. I think it's now a race where a lot of these states are going to have a lot of these protections for their in-state schools for any sort of violation of NCAA bylaws. We talked about the memo that the NCAA published, but more and more states are going to be publishing uh, or uh, passing and signing into law these these bills that protect their state schools. That's really interesting, Mike. And obviously always love when you uh, touch on what's going on. That's super important to everybody who's listening to this show. It is the NIL hour after all. Mine is that we're seeing a gradual shift in how the institutions and programs are treating NIL opportunities. So Duke last year, the basketball players launched something called the Brotherhood Live. You could buy uh, merchandise with player NIL on it. You could buy a signed magazine. Uh, Slam did a, um, a two cover thing with Duke where they had like the greatest of the Coach K era and then like this new uh, team, the 2022-23 team. So that that was really cool. It was a way to support them. They got a percentage of the profits. Uh, the company 19.9 was involved with that. So today, Duke's men's basketball program's Twitter, uh, which has uh, like a million, two million followers, something like that, uh, they post that the 2023-24 uh, team, which is returning 81% of its scoring from the ACC champions, on Saturday, July 29th, from 4 to 8 p.m. in Chicago, they're going to have a scrimmage. Uh, so you show up 4 p.m., you get to watch the team for an hour, then you get to do a meet and greet, cocktail hour, dinner with the coaching staff, former players, and the current team. For that experience, you get uh, the honor of paying $2,500 through the Brotherhood Live link, my understanding is then that the players would get some of that because they're doing the meet and greet and, and those sorts of activities. But seeing it directly from the program is a change. It is a, a new thing. And I think it's better to have just the schools be able to, to coordinate some of these activities. This is NIL as we understand it, right? This is not pay for play or anything like that. This is an opportunity where the program is able to connect with high money donors 
and they're able to then allow the players to benefit from that as well by taking part in the activity. So this is a really cool thing. I'm hoping that um, other teams will uh, will do this, other programs will do this, and I'm hoping that one day I will have enough money where I can just drop $2,500 to go watch a one-hour scrimmage and have dinner with the Duke basketball team. So I think that'll do it for us tonight. I uh, appreciate you both, uh, Mike and Holly, for uh, for getting together again for uh, another episode. Uh, appreciate Eddie for joining us. Again, you can find him at, at the Eddie Taylor. Um, really, really interesting interview and, and a cool uh, path that I think a lot of our listeners could follow because uh, there's there's common interests there. Really appreciate everyone for for listening to the podcast. And uh, as always, you can find us I'm at TK Sharma Law. Holly is at Slam Dog Summers. Mike is at Mike underscore son of underscore law. You can obviously find Conduct Detrimental at Con Detrimental. Appreciate you all. Appreciate our sponsors. And we'll catch you next time on another episode of Conduct Detrimental. Bye.